the whole of August, Text Talks is celebrating Women's Month with our good friends, Tom's, the only music store. Tom's have generously given us the M Audio Vocal Studio Pro Kit to give away in the month of August. I'm actually using it to record this right now. The kit includes studio quality headphones and a condenser microphone that all plugs into their signature USB audio interface. Perfect for getting studio quality audio right at home. We want you, the listener, to nominate an exceptional lady that you think would benefit the most from this opportunity. Simply head over to our pinned post on social channels and tag the woman who you think deserves this gift. And make sure you follow Text Talks for all our exciting Women's Month episodes. That's text with a double X. Also, if you're thinking about picking up an instrument for the first time, or you're looking to upgrade, just head on over to any one of the several Tom stores around the country where their epic staff are ready and waiting to say, how's it? Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to South Africa's undisputed queen of rock and roll. This powerhouse performer is a singer, songwriter, guitarist and composer who has gained critical acclaim for her music work in both English and Afrikaans, with her early work having influenced an entire generation of South Africans. All through her career, she has held onto an enviable integrity that allows her to speak her mind, and recently we have become as familiar with her face as we are with her voice. As the host of a flawless variety show on CakeNet, as well as one of the most popular judges on reality TV competition, The Voice SA, I am of course talking about all-round entertainer and inspiration, Karen Zoid. Karen, welcome. I am so glad that I can finally pin you down for this chat. It's been long overdue. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Always nice to spend time with you. Now, the first time we met, you were doing a press run for season two of your show and it was at the one and only and I was the last interview of the day (laughs) and I I essentially had 15 minutes with you, but we ended up talking for like an hour and a half. And I remember I was at a crossroads in my career at the time. And I was thinking about leaving my job that I was at. And you were like, just do it, man. Just do it. Be your own boss. So, Karen, I want to tell you that this, the podcast, my events, all of my side hustles, it's all, it's all your fault. <laughs> oh, I'll take all the credit immediately. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. It's so cool to hear that I, I've planted some seeds or I watered some of those seeds. I'm sure there have been many other women telling you the same. Uh, no. You, <laughs> you, no. No. But, but with a, a career that's enjoyed the longevity of yours, I think we 100% have to take things back to the beginning. So you released your debut album, Poles Apart, in 2002, and then two years later in 2004, Times Magazine is already referring to you, to referring to the, the youth of that time as the Zoid generation. What was your reaction to this very bold, very flattering statement? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things, as you know. I mean, you're in this business. So one day you're in, you know, mentioned in Time magazine and the next day there's three people at your concert at Grahamstown and then the next day <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a ride being in entertainment. I think for me at the time um, when I was very young when I started because I was addicted to drugs as a teenager and uh, I had a kind of a, a bad family life, um, I, there was very – very little expectation of me to make anything of myself. My father expected me to overdose and die. <laughs> and I did that a few times. So, yeah, when that happened, I kind of realized that it's over. I don't know how to say. Um, my teenage years were very difficult. And um, the first two years of going professional, if you can call it that, but when I changed my name to Karen Zoid, I, um, yeah, those days were, it was weird and I didn't, 
I always felt different, but now I was posted as different in a different way. And it was a new era of my of my life. You were born as Karen Louise Griff. And what I've always wanted to ask was where did the Zoid come in? Because you said now that you renamed yourself Karen Zoid. So when yes. when did that happen? I always wanted to change my surname because Griff is pronounced as grief. When your father is Dr. Griff, people say, Can I please can I please speak to Dr. Grief on their phone when he's doing business with people in Canada? The grief. Plus, my mom had already died when I was nine. I had enough of grief in my life. Um, so I wanted to change my name, and I was looking for a cool stage name. And a friend of mine at film school happened to make a movie called Zoid. It was a space-age movie, and I was sitting, paging through this um, book. It's called American Slang Dictionary. And I actually found the word Zoid in the book. And it means a person who doesn't comply with society's norms and expectations. And I was like, that's my name. And it's plus it's Z, so I'm at the end. You, you get noticed when you're in the beginning or at the end more than when you're in the middle. I love that. Yeah. So who were the musicians on the scene at the time that you started? Like who were you bumping into regularly at gigs and bars? What did the scene look like? Well, my inspiration as a teenager, I started – uh, playing in bands when I was 16 and I started I was in a band called Bad Weather actually before Karen Zoid became me solo artist and at that time that was the late 90s I've literally Bad Weather broke up in 1999 and then I started um, going solo in 2000 so at that time I used to go watch bands like Vonerboom Live Jimmy Presley, Patrai Nieche, Moses Mulalekwa. I used to get a baseline and just hang out there in Kippies, Pussy Mahlasela, Eight Legged Groove Machine, um, Cherry for Cannibals, Springbok Nukles, obviously, they were like gods when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, it would show, you know, an international act day not come to South Africa if the nude girls weren't opening. It was like that. Um, but I was from Joburg. This is before Kalula and all that. You know, you could just quickly fly down. You had to drive down. Unless you were flippin' rich, you would fly to Cape Town. We used to drive to Cape Town. So there was a scene in Joburg. There was a scene in Pretoria. There was a scene in Cape Town. It's still kind of like that. But, um, it was a bit stronger, and Joburg bands in general just have a different vibe. So I was Joburg. That's that's Wunderboom, Batreinige, Electric Petals. Um, those kind of bands were our our bands. Felt like they belonged to us, you know. And then, yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw Valiant Swart came to Wings in Bramfontein. And there was a guy, he's, he had literally had like fans outside. One guy shaved Valiant into the back of his head. <laughs> and he was like, whoa. And he's, he's Afrikaans, singing completely in Afrikaans. And that's what Patreinige meant to us also, this industrial heavy band <laughs> singing Afrikaans. Um, so those were my musical influences when I started. I read an article, uh, one interview with you that you did a few years ago where you said that you really – enjoyed the hustle and bustle of Joburg you enjoyed the creative energy of Joburg but ultimately yes. now you know you live in 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 Cape Town so mm-hmm. what what are why the move but also what are some of the differences that you experience now to having your home base be in Cape Town as opposed to when it was in Joburg well I wanted to get as far as as possible from my ex-husband <laughs> I'm joking not really. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I wanted to get out of there and start life over. <laughs> Nutshell version. <laughs> and then came here and, um, yeah, I've been here for 10 years. It's a long time already. It, I think it's starting to feel like I, I can act safe to almost say I'm Cape Tonian now after 10 years. Um, very different places, but – 
as a musician, you never truly belong to any place. Hey? You're always moving. So you're always traveling. I mean, this pandemic, this is the longest I've ever been home since I was maybe 18 years old. Me too, actually. Or the longest yeah, time that I've been in one place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is starting to get to me, but that's a whole other discussion. Ooh. Ooh. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm really starting to do I'm getting scared of the fact that we're going to have to mission again. No, I, I'm loving it. I think that you post enough sunset photos on the promenade <laughs> um, for you to be considered a Cape Townian, oh. Karen. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you can mock me all you like. <laughs> you press the little heart button when you see them, don't you? Yeah, of course. But I mean, now that I live in Joburg, I take the piss out of Cape Town all the time, but it's just because I miss it so much. Mm. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a good place to, to be on lockdown, but I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a daddy and mommy's girl and I miss my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you an only child, Tekla? Yes, I, I am an oh, only yeah. child. And for an Italian family, that's very weird. But my father yeah. always says that he believes in quality, not quantity. So I don't know. What can you ah, do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What does your dad <laughs> do for a living? What do you, your parents do? Um, so my mother is retired and my father is a tour guide. So okay. you can imagine at the moment uh, with the current pandemic that's going down, he is losing his mind, but also driving my mother insane because he's at home all the time. Is that so, where you get your warmth from? You say from your for your father, definitely. your love for people. Definitely, my father and I are exactly the same person. Exactly yeah. the same. I've always wondered because you're so um, you're a real people's person, eh? Oh, thank you. But I think that you know when I was growing up, because my father and I were the same person, we used to butt heads all the time because mm-hmm. we, we didn't really understand each other, and because my father saw a lot of me in. Uh, him in me so he was like oh god is this one I'm gonna have to deal with for the next 20 odd years <laughs> so we only really became close um when I hit like 21 22 uh because those teenage years those were those were quite hectic and I I honestly wouldn't have wanted it any other way because I feel like now that I'm old enough to have that kind of you know that great relationship with both of my parents I appreciate it more and I only appreciate it more as they get older as well yeah yeah mm. and your mom what did she do sorry just last part of my interview before no that's fine no, I, I'm loving this I'm loving this so much I've always wondered so my mother um has done like a million and one things so she she used to be an accountant and then she was a property broker and then she worked with my dad and then she was in catering for a bit um and then yeah and then one day she just came home and she said to my father I don't want to work anymore I want to make a house a home and I've worked uh like it's it's been I've worked long and I've worked hard and now this is what I want to do. So now you've got to go out and make a lot of money. And my dad went, okay. And I really respected my father for that because he never turned around and was like, what? He was just like, well, you know, happy wife, happy life. So yeah. you want to be a homemaker. That's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm, what I need to do. And my parents can't honestly like, are the most, I'm so lucky because they are the most supportive parents. They, they never said no. They, if I presented something to them that they didn't understand or didn't agree with, they would always ask me why. Mm. So they never closed any doors in my face. The one thing my father did tell me, because I took two years off after I left my trick, the one thing my father did say to me was, when you decide what it is that you want to study, make sure you know, like 100%. Because I'm not paying for something that you're going to mm-hmm. drop out halfway. If you do that, then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that, uh, yeah. that side hustle that you're, you're doing as a working as a bartender mm-hmm. at Zula Bar, then all of that money that you make is going to have to go towards supporting yourself because I, I, I can't. Yeah. I'm making an investment in you, so you need to know with a hundred percent assurity that this basically. is, yeah. yeah, that this is the, this is what you want to do. And I was so shit scared 
of, <laughs> of fucking up that it took me two years to realize, okay, this is it. Cause I took one year off and then, uh, ended up taking another year. And then, uh, I, I knew in that second year that there was something missing. I knew, mm-hmm. uh, and that something else was going to UCT and studying. And it was that, um, uh, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like a, additional, like tertiary, tertiary education way of thinking that critical way of thinking that university mm. teaches you and um i like i don't know if i would be in the same position if i hadn't have gone to uct but i always tell a lot of like up and coming artists or musicians or just creatives that are looking to get into the industry i always say to them i went to uct but you don't need to go to uct like mm. there I, I still think that i would be on the same path if I hadn't gone to UCT, mm-hmm. maybe it might have taken me a bit longer, but I still would have like had those skills in me. Like I still yeah. would have had my passion for music. I still would have had my passion for writing. So going to uh, a varsity college or a UCT, I don't think is something that people need to do in order to become a success. Not in this day and age anyway. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you too. Yeah. But there's that something about community. That's what it, I think. That's what he, the, the main thing that that a university or a tertiary college or film school or mm. advertising school offers you is a connection. In the end, um, well, connection is is everything. When you want to have movement to mm. progress, you need connections. You can't do it alone. I mean, my my connection was working at Zula, and mm. and meeting. Well, that was a great place. Yeah. Eh? Oh, it, it, everybody, people that I still work with mm. to this day are people that I met when I was bar- bartending at Zula. Which, I was also a bartender for a long time, eh? Really? Yeah, in Melville. Long time. Oh, I was a waitress for maybe four years of my life. But my, the worst bartending job I did was at a place called Red Barrel. Sounds and fantastic. The, it, was, it wasn't. It was... It was a sports bar kind of shitty place where all the jocks went and they used to grab your bum and they used to make remarks and you basically get sexually harassed the whole night and get tips. But our, our manager was an alcoholic and every night when we cashed up, he would um, accuse one of the waitresses of stealing after he'd been um, buying drinks for all his friends. It was horrible. It was horrible. Hashtag me too. No, that was, okay. But you learn people skills when you work in those kind of environments. We have to be fast on your feet and maybe somebody's inebriated and glasses are breaking and it's packed and you've got to get things done. There's a tons of people skills that you learn. A 100%. I think the worst gig that I ever worked at Zula was when Fokov were playing. Oh, my God. Because we, we'd always know we'd, like, stock up on Black Label. We'd buy, like, extra Black Label for that night if they were ever playing. And, the, <laughs> like, the people at the bar, they were, like, four rows deep, and I I mm. never used a bar blade. And, obviously, the Black Label, it's a, it's a twist-off cap. And I, and I served so many Black Labels that night that there was an imprint in my hand. I'd, like from twisting off all of the Black Label bottles, like I'd literally like in my skin, there was like an indent. No, 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 you you know, I think you've, you've got to be some sort of person, Mm. you've, you know, level of character to work in the service industry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Mm. Yeah. Chaos. Like the entertainment industry. It's a great, it's a great first step. (laughs) The next level of chaotic. <laughs> oh my god! But but to to bring it back to one of the things that I actually wanted to talk about was your TED talk that you did in 2016. I've always wanted to apply to do a TED talk, but I'm so shit scared because you don't read off anything, right? You just you just hoy, you just go from yeah. like memory, and that for me is is like quite nerve wracking to stand up in front of a whole bunch of people and to just like speak and I um you know when I was doing my research for for this podcast I had no idea that you'd done a TED talk and I watched it and it was so great because you 
you use Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you turned it, <laughs> it was so cool. And you turned it into um, like explaining the different types of musicians. So uh, for everybody who hasn't listened to your TED talk, I'll, I'll break it down very quickly if I can remember. So level one, you had the classical musician who was basically like mm-hmm. trained their whole life and is technically a genius. Uh, yes. Level two, you had the jazz musician who's technically brilliant but focuses more on like improv Uh, level three you had the musician who can play an instrument and sing but it's less about being the best and more about like the chias like the the most musos that that, yeah yeah and then level two (laughs) level two is my favorite oh no level four was the singer who essentially performs with backtracks and then I think you mentioned Kurt Darren, which made me laugh. Anyway, and then yeah, anyway. Oh, the artists, the artists—they they don't write their own, they own, don't write their own music necessarily, and they don't play an instrument, and they don't sometimes don't don't even need a band, mm. like Kurt Darren or Seal. Mm. You know, he played South Africa without a band, um, but yeah. And then at the very bottom the was DJs. the DJ. Mm-hmm. But they're not actually in the hierarchy. They think they are. They're the reserves. They're on the bench. <laughs> But they see themselves as musicians. <laughs> they can't play an instrument. They can't oh write God. a song. I they, can't wait. They, they play faders and that's it. There's no performance aspect. They produce something at home and then they press play when they do it live. But, and then you flip it in terms of who gets paid the most. And then, then the hierarchy changes. Suddenly, when people's all, they put number one. There's a live <laughs> Yeah, 2013, three years, David Goethe was number one on all the, 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 it's the top, Avicii, all those guys. It's just DJs make the most money, have the biggest hits. Then the kind of Christina Aguilera, um, you know, okay, like people like Billie Eilish have changed that. Mm -hmm. She can play instruments and write her own songs. But for a long time it was whatever, Jennifer Lopez, who's actually a dancer, or Madonna, who's actually a dancer, but just sings and other people construct, you know. And then it's musos, bands, you know, Foo Fighters. So we're in the middle as we play music, and then, and then the jazz people make very little money, even though they are incredible and better than all these other people. Mm. But the people who make the least money, of course, the people who've devoted their entire lives to an instrument, your entire life playing the bassoon, but you make 8,000 rand a month at Cape Philharmonic Orchestra. Completely unfair. Life is not fair, kids. It's not. What is your lived experience? Like the advantages and the disadvantages of being uh, a number three, like you just said. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you fit in everywhere because you don't fit in anywhere. Uh, and it's, you've got that same as being an only child. You fit in everywhere because you don't fit in anywhere. I get that often because I'm either female, Afrikaans, white, whatever. We all have those areas. So whatever um, the the thing is that makes you the strongest is also the thing that makes you the weakest. The controlling forces in the world, money, sex, power, when used for good, changes everything when used for bad, also changes everything. So being in the middle, you can have a clear view of what everybody's doing because you're not so focused. Sometimes I think people who are expert at only one thing, they that's the one thing that they do better than any of us. But to have um, insight and to be my, – my motto in life, whenever things get too, too complicated, I don't know what to do. Um, I always say broad strokes. Sometimes when things get too complicated, just go back to broad strokes. Draw a line in the sand and this way or that way. Yeah, actually problems have very few questions to ask before you solve a problem. Um, So that's what it is about in the middle. It's more about being, it's more about the passion. And, um, but I don't know. I mean, flip. I've just played with the Philharmonic Orchestra and I was just looking at those people. I was like, what must it feel like? Or look at Dan Petlansky playing the guitar. And it's like an appendage. It is a part of his body, the way he plays it. He just always knows where his fingers have to go. I mean, I just 
so jealous of him in a way. It's just like, Dad, how do you, you know? He turns an inanimate object into a living animal. I mean, you see him play. So, yeah, there's, I don't know, but that's just where I am. I'm just there in the middle. I don't know how. Muso, muso. Just I mean, but if they're for the jewel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say you're, you know, just, just there in the middle and there for the jewel, but it's been, it's been an incredible two decades. I mean, your, your career is the only word that I can think of off the top of my head is illustrious. I mean, the Thank people you. that you've played with and the stages that you've graced and was there like looking back on it, was there ever one moment where you were like, Karen, this is it. Like, this is what, (laughs) like, this is what we've been preparing for. Like, do not screw this up. Like, was there, was there a set? I haven't, I know I have it often. I just had it before I spoke to you. I'm having it now while I'm speaking to you. Just before this interview, I spoke to Faith Popcorn in New York and talking about things, we're going to do something with her. And she's one of my heroes. Um, I don't know. I did a song with my son um, during lockdown. I did a concert on top of our roof at our apartment mm-hmm. in Um It happens all the time. I think for me, the best I can put it is actually to just tell you, when Johnny Clegg was on my show, he spoke about his fantastic adventure that he has as a child, had as a child. When I asked him about those early days when he went to the hostels and he went dancing and his mother didn't know where he was and the police had to bring him back. And he just talked about this fantastic adventure. And I just resonated with it so much because that's how I see my life. That's how I see art. Everything is part of a fantastic adventure. You know, life Life is filled with pain and sorrow and joy and uh, disgust and curiosity and beauty and elation and all these things. And it's just, it's a ride. And I, yeah, I'm just really happy to be doing what I love. In fact, more than happy, I fight to be able to do what I love. I grew up with a lot of people and images of, of people that, women especially, that were just not living the lives they wanted to live. And I just made a decision very young that I was not going to be like that. I was not going to be like that. And I am, you know, you make that decision all the time. You just, you, 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 you create your life and it's, 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 a, it's a job. And I realized that I think that's a saving grace for me. I realized young, at a young age that, um, if I don't create the life that I want to live, I'm going, the cards that I've been dealt is going to, I'm going to end up in the suburb where I grew up, married with three kids. You know what I mean? Like, and what do I really, what do I want? You know, there's only so many days you, you have in your life and, yeah, I want to spend them in the arts, music, television, media, um, fine art. These are my passions, yeah, and people. So how do you balance that aspect of creativity with how much the the world has changed digitally in terms of now musicians, uh, a, a huge part of, of what musicians do is, is social media and marketing themselves online. And how do you decide what is yours to keep and what is yours to share? online because I've seen that a lot of musicians fall prey to having their online activity eclipse their musical activity and have what people are saying about them become become more about what's going on online than the music. That's a great question. Yeah, it's, it's the first time ever where we're able to broadcast ourselves in this way, you know, but just because you're able to broadcast yourself doesn't mean you necessarily have to do it three times a day. Just because you are able to promote bef- through the medium of your phone or you know your YouTube channel or your Instagram, or whatever, doesn't mean you should be doing it all the time. 
for me personally, everybody's different. And I think you've got to do what's right for you. But for me, the whole social media thing, it's just an extension of, of my creativity to me. I mean, of course, I sell tickets or you promote a TV show or um, maybe promote uh, some charity causes or whatever. There's certain part of it that's maybe business orientated, but it's still just another way to express. Like you use a guitar to express yourself or you use the pen to express yourself and video photos do the same. Um, but my biggest fear isn't that actually people are overexposing. My biggest fear is people are becoming, number one, very boring, which is terrible. Or that's the worst thing a musician. You can rather be abominable, but if you're boring, you're out. You, you cannot be boring. And um, the other thing is that you're very narcissistic, not realizing that you've got something that's like, just because I have a fountain doesn't mean that I should just be standing next to the fountain and drinking my own water the whole day. <laughs> Maybe consider that there are plants around you. Maybe consider that you could use that water to grow lots of plants. Or maybe you've got neighbors who are flipping thirsty. You know, I love this metaphor. Um, yeah, we've become we've become that little this little window, a piece of glass we carry in our pockets. It's also just made of sand. So are we. We're just gonna die. <laughs> the glass came glass comes from sand and people do too so they got dark quickly. i think we are yeah, think no no but i mean seriously <laughs> we we're at a point in history where meaning has to be added this pandemic this trouble that we have in the world is because of capitalism just carried on and on and on let's make money doesn't matter children in the factory too much so right we've got hot beds too people don't worry this is very cheap but we're killing the ocean and we're ruining the sea and we're subjecting people to health risks and nobody cares nobody cares here we are post-capitalism it's here the future is right now not yesterday not 10 years from now right now so actually the people that care are going to be the new rock stars the people that follow through are going to be the new artists people who do things properly are going to be in high demand because everybody's looking at everything and they're overwhelmed and they two minutes this two minutes this two minutes that two minutes but what we need is are people who who can take something on do the beginning the middle the end and then carry on from there but we're also scatterbrained at the moment it's um worrying and the social media is not helping <laughs> not at all so after launching your tv show and having people essentially invite you into their homes. Did it become harder to keep that degree of privacy that you had attained or did you find it quite easy? Um, no, I, I, I kind of, you know, there's a saying, it is a private life is a happy life. I've always um, tried to maintain that, you know, Uh because, yeah, you don't want to put your heart and soul on display uh, for the whole world to, you know. I don't want to, I, you know, I don't want to put my child on the cover of a magazine. It is very, it looks like it's gone out of fashion now. But yes, I mean, how many times people have asked me to take pictures with my child and put it on it, and it's just, uh, oh, it's just a personal thing, you know. I've just always, I think also because I'm a girl. I know, uh, you know, I think in your generation it's almost passe now. It's the end of gender, you know, and people are fluid. In it. But it's, it frustrates me immensely, you know, that the question that a woman gets asked all the time is, you know, so how old is your baby and how old is your son? But they won't ask that same question to your male counterpart. You're at an airport going to a meeting, like, so who's taking care of your kid now? And you would never ask a man the same thing. You, But the mother gets asked, like, yeah, he's in front of the TV with a six-pack of beers. He's fine. And you're like, what do you think? Where do you think he is? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, still, it's still different for men and women. Hopefully that will change. I think it will in the next decade or so. But, um, yeah, you definitely have to prove yourself as a, as a, as a woman, you know, still. 
women don't have that baggage, I guess. Is that why you called your new studio in Philadelphia Mothership? Well, yes, in a way, because the mothership, mothership is always looking at the big picture. A mother is always looking at the big picture. What's the, the best? What is the best for all? Not just what's the best for me. And I, that's that's I live by that. You know, do what's right, not because of what you can get out of it. Secondly, it's called mothership because we're a spacecraft on our own voyage through deep space, but we have. Um, we're also a harbor. A mothership is also a harbor, like a starship enterprise or, you know. And your spaceship, Tekla's little spaceship, can come and dock at mothership. And then mommy will take good care of you and we'll refuel you and have a nice chat, make a lovely cup of tea, and you can do your, you can do your thing. And, and we're able to – it's just an extension of what I believe in, that there's, there's so much power in collaboration the you know you just accelerate your growth as on every level personally professionally spiritually emotionally when you when you share and that's what you you spoke about earlier about how musicians um are finding it difficult to balance that what do i put on my what do i give away and what do i keep the question that you should ask yourself is what do you want to do for a living because if you want to be a musician, don't give away the music. Give away the T-shirt. If you want to be in fashion, don't give away the clothes. Give away a song. Show people where your value lies and show people what it is that you sell. And that's the point of it. I think you need to sell it. You, I hardly ever give away, I don't give away tickets to shows. And I don't, I'll never make a song free, even though you make freaking whatever, seven cents of a stream. But I just won't because that's what I do for a living. That's my work. And and unless it's for charity, that's all, it's it's just the principle of it. And I think musicians are finding it difficult to navigate right now because it's able to listen to it for free. They do put up everything on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, um, give away tickets in the hope that it'll pull more people to the show. And I, I don't know, I just, but I mean, I just don't subscribe to that particular way of marketing. Maybe it works for somebody else. But for me, I, I make a conscious decision to not, I'll give away everything else, but not the music, not the mm. tickets and not the song. Yeah. Mm. The several times that I've spoken to you over the last few months, all of the conversations that we've had, you end up mentoring, mentioning Mothership Studios. And I can tell that you're incredibly proud of it. Uh, and and of the work that you are doing and will be doing there and I know that you are as passionate about developing nurturing fostering up-and-coming musical talent fresh musical talent um, as I am uh, and I wanted to ask you about your vision for mothership yes but also how you're working with the unsigned and independent artist to do exactly what you were just talking about and educate them about the business side of things and how to go about really marketing themselves and their careers. Yeah. Well, okay, like you said before, I was a coach on The Voice, which was like a whole vibe and experience. And there I learned something that 80% of people who ask for advice don't really want it. <laughs> kind of do you sit there and flip and explain and take it apart and the person just goes and does whatever they want so I've changed my vision slightly and I'm focusing on I rather work with one person at a time you know I rather form a relationship with you um as somebody that's already there busy doing it you're on a journey you're freaking creating stuff now you have a blog and then you have a now you you've got this podcast, then you're busy with the band. You're, you're doing stuff already. You deserve a break. You deserve opportunity. You deserve, and you should be drawn in because there are just too many people that are standing around waiting for somebody to give them a career. And it's just never, ever going to happen. Mm. Um, you make your own, life you create your own life so I've I rather help 
a few people and work closely with them and build bonds and relationships and 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 put all that energy into to to fewer. Where before I was all about, ah, oh, we are the world, everybody, everybody, but it's actually wasteful to those that are on their journey. So I am, um, yeah, I work on specific projects. And in the same breath, you know, you can only do something properly if you, I, I don't know, that the lockdown has also made me more aware of that. My fellow South Africans. It's just, there are just so many hours in a day and um, you can't really take something to the next level if you don't put in the time. These things take a lot of time. I mean, you know this, you've managed bands and been involved. It takes so much. So you really, really have to freaking love it. Managing a band is basically Oof. just glorified babysitting. Oof. And I mean and there's that. there's no money for so many years. And when the money comes, they don't want to pay. That's what happens. You know, it's, 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 it's hard. It's really, it's really difficult. And you have to be, yeah, it, it, there's no, the old, all those old cliches are just true, unfortunately. There are no shortcuts. Yeah. It's just no, very few shortcuts. You've been on both sides of the coin, right? Making English music, but also making Afrikaans music. And I feel like Afrikaans music has changed so much in the last 10 years. And, you know, you see uh, the likes of the like Van Pletsen and Early B, and there's this new wave of Afrikaans artists that are emerging. But I know that you also collaborated with Early B recently on your, on the season of your show. But where do you see Afrikaans music going in your mind? The Afrikaans music scene has and will always be very polarized. On the far pole, we have obviously Steve Hoffmeyer, um, and then yeah, and then maybe on the other end, what the Antwerp? That's how that's how polarized it is. Do you think um, generally Afrikaans music is quite conservative, though? I don't know how many bands there are now. I think it's not as no, not anymore, not anymore. But the, the on the commercial side of things, yes. But it'll it's like that with all music. Um, but Afrikaans music is very very polarized. We're going through South Africa. The world is going through massive identity, no. And now with the world that's changed forever, um, I think we're going to have. A strong rise of humanity, democracy, you know, people that are, you know, looking at the finer things, the smaller things, the meaning, the love, the detail, the growth, all these things. And on the other side, the rise of fascism. And, and Afrikaans people have a terrible history of this, of um, being scared and running to the church where they tell everybody how God thinks and God's a white Afrikaans man who, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's it's weird. It's weird being Afrikaans, eh? I don't think you'll ever understand. It's very, very weird. Like the, the stuff Fuku Polisica did, what they actually did. Um, you know, all those people who came there to drink those black labels. I mean, it's just because it's such a, whoa, we've got a bad side. Gosh, it's terrific, horrifying. We're so ashamed. <laughs> I used to sit, because obviously... Um, I mean, my my first language is is English, um, and you know, then conversational Italian, and then you know, then you have your um, Afrikaans learned in school, and then conversational Kosa. Um, but I would sit with my word book, translating fuck off lyrics because I wanted to know what they meant because I had no idea. <laughs> um so and i mean that was you know now we've got google translate but before then i'd like you know sit with my pencil and like write things out um but for me it was always like like you said very polarizing like either steve hoffmeyer on the one hand or d anford on the other but there's anger there's anger afrikaans people we have a long history of being angry and passive aggressive also you know, it's, it's I like, I, I, I don't know what happened. What did I say? I had somebody on my show, Adrian Basson, the, the, the um, editor for Network 24, News 24. 
And um, I just said, Fernand, he interviewed me when we were kids. We we're kind of the same age. He was a varsity journalist and I played at the varsity my first game. So I said, Fernand, is it my beard om jou te and then these Steve Hoffmeyer's kid like came at me and started sending me all these um, uh, 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 just like trolling they were trolling me and they found some picture of me when I did a documentary years ago and I was standing in front of Urania and I was throwing zaps at the side <laughs> But like, you know, you stop and it's like, oh, yeah. yes, and there are very hectic right-wing people, you know, that are still out there. And they were like trolling me. And still now, even with this Black Lives Matters, you, I just put something up and then like all these people come back and they're just horrible, horrible, horrible. And it's, it's scary because you live, you live in your own bubble and you think everybody's the same. But you're not. You assume. And that's what, that's what, yeah, collaboration taught me. Don't assume just because we're both women, we both feel the same way about this thing or that topic. Don't assume because people are Afrikaans, they um, they believe the same thing and see things the same way. Because there's so many people that just, you know, they just choose to be the spokesperson of a whatever generation and that's what i hated in the beginning when they said oh it's the zoe generation I was like oh please don't put that on me because it's such a typical afrikaans thing to do to label they just need somebody to be hmm. you know speaking on behalf of of everybody and it has to be ordered. a huge weight on your shoulders as well uh i love what you're doing currently with your with your art auctions which is really cool i mean you're reaching out to other people and Taking in, that next level now, though. Hey? No, but that's cool. Next oh, really? level coming up. Oh. No, next tell me, level. give me, give me the exclusive. What you doing? We are going to. We we did Facebook. Anybody who's listening, we, we I did these Facebook um, art auctions during lockdown, level five and four, <laughs> and we've grown from three artists to almost thirteen. I want to get nineteen artists, and I'm actually going to do a proper live streaming art auction. Oh wow! Like with the gravel and everything. Met Alice. A gavel, and, not a gravel, yeah, a gavel. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, so so I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm very much being an art dealer at the moment and I've learned so much working with Lionel Smith, working with Skulk van der Marwe, working with my Lucy Pete, and I love it. I'm just loving exploring it. Yeah, as, yeah fine artists are a different breed, eh? So, I mean, yeah, it's just fantastic. We've got, we've got a WhatsApp group and we flip and plan auctions and we talk about art and I we curate together it's your yeah, I'm really enjoying it no but that's incredible um I, as always it's been a pleasure and I hope that the next time that we do this it can be at the mothership studios and not when we're sitting yeah. on opposite ends of the country please yes yeah absolutely. thank you guys thank you the world is full of strange behavior every man has to be his own savior Across the heaven, whispering song of the wind in the grass. There's a rolling thunder across the savannah, a hope and a dream at the edge of that sky. And your life is a story like the wind. Your life is a story like the wind. I'm searching for the spirit of the great heart.
Shout out to Karen Zoid for joining us in studio. Thank you for joining us for another Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our assistant researcher and collaborator, Al Clapper, catch you all on the flip side.